we are going to begin a new sermon series this week. And um, for the next six weeks, Tom and I, we're going to be doing a series on prayer. And specifically, we're going to be talking about how to pray. Uh, because prayer is difficult for many of us, I bet. Um, it's supposed to be something that's normal, a consistent, constant thing for the believer. Um, and this is these are things that we kind of intuitively know, maybe if we've been around um, church long enough or if, if we've been following Christ long enough. Colossians 4, we're told to continue steadfastly in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, we're commanded to pray without ceasing. Um, we're commanded to pray without ceasing. Now, think about that. Like, how, how often do you do something without ceasing? Um, you blink unceasingly. You swallow unceasingly. You, your heart beats unceasingly. These are all biological, biological things that we don't give a second thought to. Um, it just happens. But is it, is it possible for us to pray without ceasing? Can we be talking to God unstoppingly? If that's a word, um, the Bible tells us that prayer should be like that in our lives. And yet, I bet that for many of us in this room, or those listening, listening to us online, um, we, we understand this. But for us, maybe it might seem that prayer is a chore. It's something that is. Uh, we just want to get out of the way before we get to the more efficient, meaningful things. Prayer often feels unnatural and awkward and, and inefficient. And often we, we just don't know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray. We don't know if it will really lead to anything. Do you have that uh, sentiment toward prayer? Maybe you may not say it, but do we feel that? Prayer is just not something I'm good at. Prayer really isn't something that I even want to do. So Tom and I, for the next several weeks, as we talk about it, what we want is for us to think about prayer as something that really can be natural, that it's something not just necessary, but it's good. And why do we want to pray? Because God is our Father, and a Father loves to hear His children speaking to Him. And let me put this before you. Um, If you don't pray to God, then you don't really have faith. Um, you subscribe to a set of beliefs, um, but where is that faith going? Before whom is that faith lived out? And for Tom and I, our, our goal is to bring the idea of prayer down to our level. Um, bringing the idea of prayer down to our level. And um, what is our level? What is our level? Let me, let me uh, kind of take a shot at what our level is. Our level is that we often don't want to talk to God. Our level is bitterness toward other people. Our level is a proclivity toward disobedience toward God. Disobedience to God, and we want to continue to be disobedient. Our level is often the level of exhaustion and tiredness and frustration it's a level where sometimes we're just filled with joy as well. Sometimes we are happy. This is the level that we live on. And prayer then is not just something for us to, some religious duty for us to fulfill. But prayer is a way to express what is going on in our lives and in our hearts. 
So these sermons that we're going to preach over the next few weeks, these are going to be the uh, basis of the discussions that we're going to have in our CGs, in our community groups this quarter. Um, as we announced, we're going to begin our new small group, our new community group quarter ne- uh, next Sunday. And if you're not a part of a small group yet, um, I keep saying small group, community group, um, talk to me, I will connect you with the leaders. But um, as the groups go through these uh, their, their meetings, um, we're going to give questions and prompts for us to think about prayer, prompts for us to pray, and it might seem weird and unnatural, but our hope is that uh, maybe by exercising this muscle, we can become a little more pro- proficient, better at prayer. Maybe we'll just start praying, period. So we're going to look at Psalm 145, this psalm that Camille just read, as a basis for our prayers today. Um, This psalm isn't explicitly about prayer, but it is a prayer. And my goal for the next few moments, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter sermon today, um, is to show us how it serves as a model for us to express our praise to God. It it serves as a model for us to express our praise to God. And when I say that, I recognize that there are maybe perhaps two responses to that. The first is this, that there are things in my life that I want to praise God for. There are things that I experience that I want to praise God for. That's the first response. A second response is this, I don't know what to praise God for. And I don't know if He deserves my praise. I didn't say that there are two groups of people. I said that there are two responses, and here's why. Because I think that each of us, we all fall into one of these two categories sometimes. Even the most faithful believer will sometimes feel both. Sometimes, if you're a follower of Christ, there's nothing inside you to give God except a tired sigh. You've got no words to speak to Him. Or the agnostic or the atheist they may not think that there is anyone to praise or that there's anyone to there's anything to praise that's whatever that being is for and if we're in that camp um, we just don't trust god we don't believe in god we don't know if there is a god let me gently challenge you by saying that maybe that there are some things that you've witnessed or that you've experienced that have moved you and you might say that there are scientific explanations for these the phenomena that you might have experienced. You might say that there is a scientific explanation for the, the emotions that you feel. It's called dopamine. You might say that that's what's happening. But let me suggest to you that maybe there's something beyond that. Um, there's, there's a really great video on YouTube. Um, I, I first watched this maybe, when did YouTube come out? Like years ago. Um, one of the first videos I watched on YouTube was um, something called, uh, it, it was a video, um, if you Google murmuration, if you YouTube murmuration, just type it into the search bar, it's one of the first videos that comes up. Um, it's a short two-minute video of these two girls who are paddling on a lake and they have this, the, the camera pointed up, and what they see is a murmuration. A murmuration is when there's a, a group of birds, thousands, perhaps t- tens of thousands of birds, who fly in this kind of uh, formation that doesn't really have a shape, but it's this beautiful, beautiful uh, just movement, um, waves, and I don't know how to describe it to you except that it's beautiful. And these girls are just filming the, this murmuration of these birds, tens of thousands of birds flying above them, creating these beautiful objects and shapes. 
And at one point, there is, you can hear an audible gasp when they see the birds flying above them. And when I watched this video, I immediately thought, that is worship. That is worship. And I don't know anything about these girls. I don't know if they believe in God or not. But there was something in them that responded to the beauty in front of them. And that is what worship is. Responding to the beauty, the goodness, the majesty of God and the things that He does. This spontaneous response to overwhelming beauty. That's what I saw in this video. And sometimes that's what we feel as well. Have you ever seen something that made you feel awe? I was on Twitter yesterday and I saw a, uh, it was like a 20 second video of a baby elephant chasing birds. Um, and it was so cute. And I, I was like, why does this exist in nature? Why is there something so adorable? And I felt in that moment, ah, how does God think of that? A baby elephant falling down as it chases birds. Why does such a thing happen? Have you ever experienced something that made you feel awe? If you've seen the northern lights, raindrops sliding down a windshield, listening to a beautiful piece of music, eating a good meal, having an unrushed evening with people you love, laughing with them and talking to them. If you've felt an inordinate amount of joy or wonder or awe at these things, there's something in you that wants to praise God, whether or not you're aware of it. Whether or not we're aware of it, we need to praise. And I think of G.K. Chesterton's quotes. The worst moment for an atheist is when he is really thankful and has no one to thank. The worst moment for an atheist is when he's thankful and has no one to thank. So where does our thank go? Where does our praise go? For us in this room, we have someone to thank. If you're a human being, you were created to praise a person, namely God Almighty. Psalm 40, Isaiah 43, 21. You were formed by God, for God, that you might declare His praise. The scriptures tell us. You were created to praise God. Your primary purpose in life is to praise God. You might do many good things in your life. You might do well in school. You might have a good job and make good money. You might have a lot of friends. You may find love in your life. You may marry that person. You may have children. You may attend a good church and you might be involved in its ministries. But the most important thing you will ever do with your life is praise God, is honor God. This is what you were created for. When we praise God, we're properly oriented toward God toward the world and toward ourselves. It's in praising God that we're wholly satisfied and fulfilled in life. Listen to this quote from Walter Brueggemann. Praise is not only a human requirement and human need, it is also a human delight. We have a resilient hunger to move beyond self, to return our energy and worth to the one from whom it has been granted. In our return to that one, we find our deepest joy. Our deepest joy comes when we turn our focus and attention to something greater than ourselves. If you've ever met a narcissist, you know that they're miserable. P. 
people who are always looking for validation and affirmation from other people, they will never be fully content. No matter how many people tell them how great they are. People who are too concerned about self-esteem, they stand on a fragile foundation. But the heart that's intent on praising God, the heart that's intent on studying God and expressing the response that we have when we think of God, that person is happy. That person is blessed. And so now we look at this long passage, this kind of long psalm. This psalm was written by King David. Uh, It was after a lifetime of seeing God work in his life. And this psalm is kind of a a, a joyous explosion of everything that that David has seen. David was the guy who wrote the psalm. Everything that he's experienced and seen, it, it comes out in this explosion of praise toward God. So as we look at the psalm, this is what I want us to see this morning. That it reminds us of who God is. It reminds us of what God has done. And this psalm gives us the words to pray. Like I said to the kids, um, sometimes what we pray to God is just, God, this is who you are. And this is a prayer. And sometimes if we don't have words, we have the Bible that gives us the words to pray to God. And I only really have two points today. Um, The first is that we need to learn about what God is, or who God is, in our lives, and experience Him. We need to experience and learn who God is. And the second is that any response to God, who God is, is a prayer. So, um, first we look at this psalm, and uh, we have three major sections that I want to point out to you quickly. And um, I'm not sure, you can look at on your phones or your actual Bibles. But I'm going to break down the passages, um, not, not fully, um, but I want point to point out to us what's happening in this psalm. So the first is the intent of the psalmist. As he talks in the first two verses, he tells the reader, this is what he intends to do. Listen to passage, these passages. I will extol you, my God and King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. We're told right off the bat, my intent, David says, is I will bless the Lord. This is what my intention is. This is what I will be doing. And why would he do that? Verse 3, the basis is the greatness of God. David has seen and experienced the greatness of God. Verse 3, he says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. God is saying, or David is saying, because of these things, because God is great, he deserves the blessing and praise that we give him. And then as we read the rest of the psalm, this is an expansion of David's statement in verse 3. David says, God is great. How so is he great? This is the rest of the psalm. How can we know that the Lord is great? Verses 4 through 13 David refers to the works of God through history. And David, as he uh, writes this psalm, he's thinking about what primarily what God has done for his people, the Israelites. He rescued them from slavery. He provided for them in the desert. Food and sustenance and shelter. He provided for them community. He led them a cloud by day and a fire, pillar of fire by night. 
He protected them for generations. And let me read to you just a few of the phrases in the psalm, this passage, this portion of the psalm. On your wondrous works I will meditate, David says. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. These are things that God has done. This is what God has done through history, objective facts that he can look on. All your works shall give thanks to you. All the things that God has done, these are the works that will give praise to the Lord. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. They're to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. Past tense. What has God done? How can we know that God is great? We look at what he's done in the Bible. Primarily, that's the first thing. God has done things in history. And we can read about it. We can know what God has done by listening to the testimonies of other people. When other people speak of what God has done in their lives, this is the work of God. And you can say, this is a past tense thing. I know that God is good, that God is great, because he's shown himself to be great in the lives of other people. And by looking at the works of God, we also know that God is great. By looking at the lives of other people, by looking at nature, by looking at the experiences of life. So whenever you look into the sky, if you look in the clouds and think, wow, there's water coming out of these clouds. Who thought of that? That is God. When you eat a good meal, who thought of these textures of food? Savory and sweet and umami and tenderness and moistness and deliciousness that speaks of the greatness of God. Why does God do those things? Because he's a good God. So this is how we come to know the greatness of God, by looking at what he's done in the past. That's the, first, the, the second part of the psalm. And now let me look at verses, ver, two verses, um, verse 4. And this is one that, um, if you have your Bible, uh, let me have you read it. Um, I'll read it to you, but I want your eyeballs on this. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And then also in verse 12, the works of God make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. One of the reasons why I'm looking at this passage on this Sunday is because this is a family Sunday. And what Tom said earlier is completely true about the children that we have in this church. When you hear kids making noise, when you hear them being distracting, this is not a distraction from church. This is the church. What do we do as a church? What do we do as believers? It's here in this psalm. We commend the works of God to the next generation. And one day, by the grace of God, your children will commend the works of God to their children. And it'll go on and on till the end of history. Why? Because God's people were faithful in telling the next generation about who God is and what he's done. One of the things that Jesus loves the most is children. If you remember what he says in the Gospels, he says, Let the children come to me. And we began this church, this church began about uh, 13 years ago. We're going to celebrate it in a few couple months, but... um, when we started this church, there were not a whole lot of kids. Um, and now kids make up 
a big chunk of our church, and this is a blessing from the Lord, that we have kids. And do you know what we've had to do as a church over the years? Is we've had to plan around families increasingly more and more. All the ministries that we think about, it's never done without the children in mind because we want to make room for the children. We have the children's ministry, which has been led so well and faithfully by Ashley and Sarah. And this is not just babysitting. This is teaching our kids about who God is. Our children are being shaped into followers of Christ in the children's ministry. And in a few moments, um, Kristen and Jeff, they're going to come up and share a little bit more about what's happening with the children's ministry. Um, And there's going to be a call for volunteers because um, this is not just a need that we have, but it's also an opportunity that we have. By serving in the children's ministry, it's not just service, it's worship to God. Because we are taking what God has made known to us and we're pouring it out into the next generation. And especially for us as Presbyterians, do you know what we say, what we believe as, as children? We don't say that these children are the future of the church. We say that these children are the church. These are our covenant children. And we as a church, if you're a member of the church, we all made a promise to care for the children. So this is, I love this passage in the psalm. One generation shall commend your works to the next generation. And you guys all have an opportunity to do that in, uh, the, the, through the children's ministry. So keep that in mind as we, uh, as we go through this. But you'll have a chance to worship God by serving in the children's ministry if God is calling you to this. So I want to point that out to you because it's important. Now we move on, verses 14 through 20. The psalmist, he speaks from his own experience with God. King David speaks of what God has seen, what he's seen God do. And this is the last section of the psalm. David expresses his intent to God, to worship God, to praise God. He tells us how he knows God is great by looking at him through history. And he also can know, he knows that God is great by, because of what he's seen in his own life. So what does he see? Verse 14, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. God cares for the weak and the humble and the inadequates. God provides for his people. Verse 15, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. God provides for his people. God answers prayer, just like we sang. The Lord is near to all who call on him, and all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Um, you just heard a child cry earlier. And uh, let me, if you ever just, if you're at this church, if you ever continue on another church, never view the cry of a child as a distraction. Because you know what that is? It's all of us are crying out for something. Who of us here does not have pain in their lives? These children express what is happening in our hearts. And sometimes maybe listening to a child cry, that is the prayer that we need to express. When we say, God, I've got nothing to you, I can say to you, accept this cry. So the psalmist says this, he hears our cries. He hears our cries. He hears the cries of children. And when we hear those cries, we can take that as a prayer being sent up to the Lord. 
God does these things for his people. He protects and sustains them. Verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love him. And these are all things that you and I can experience for ourselves. History tells us what God has done. And as we live our lives, our experience with God informs our heart of hearts of who he is. And I'm going to paraphrase something that I said a couple weeks ago. There are things about God that you cannot know until you humble yourself and let God do his work in your life. It doesn't matter how good the preaching at IGC is or how bad it is, if you listen to me. It doesn't matter which books you read or how orthodox they are or the podcast that you listen to. It doesn't matter who you spend your time with, no matter how godly they are. There are things you will not know about God until you come face to face with Him, until you submit yourself to Him, until you humble yourself and you realize how much you need Him. You cannot know the greatness of God. You cannot know the greatness of God by me telling you that He's great. You need to experience it for yourself. Do you really want to know how God will provide for you? Then you need to be in a desperate place where if God does not come through, if God, if God does not give you exactly what you need, you will not survive. And who wants to be in that position? I don't. I don't want to be hanging by a thread, like Tom said. But that might be the only place that we'll learn about God's provision for his people. Do you want to know how much God satisfies us? Then you need to stop looking to other things to satisfy your desires. Do you want to know how much God cares for you? Then you need to be in a place where there's nothing left to support you and no one left to hold you up. And do you want to know how much he loves you? Do you want to know how much God loves you? Verse 8 says this, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. How can God be gracious? How can God be merciful? The answer is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In Jesus is God's steadfast love made known to us. In Jesus is God's goodness and mercy poured out on us. Though we were sinners, God gave us his son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we could not, that we deserved in our place. And instead of the wrath and judgment of God, which we deserved, God poured out his mercy and goodness on us. The Lord is gracious and good and slow to anger, abounding in love and steadfast love. How can we know these things? It's in the person of Jesus. This is foundational. This is the basis for everything in our lives, which is the gospel. So think about the gospel. Praise God for the gospel. The life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central point in all of history. Always return to that. Always think about Christ. And it's central to our lives that we live now. Everything that we experience has to be through the lens of the gospel. Do you think that God is not kind to you? Then look at Christ and what he's done. Do you think that God will not care for you in the future? Then look at Christ and how God cares for you through Christ. Are you afraid that evil will overcome good in the world and in your life? Then look at Christ 
and what He did through the evil works of man? Are you discouraged and think that God will not act on your behalf? Then look at Christ. Are you tired and discouraged and frustrated? Then look at Christ. And if that is a life in which we live, if we will view life in all our circumstances through the lens of Christ in us, the hope of glory which we mentioned earlier, then we can know that God is worth trusting in. Then we can know that God is good and that He's great. And then we can admit our weaknesses and our faults and our sins and our inadequacy and our discontent and our doubts. And we can pray to God, God, I am not, but you are. You are great. And maybe the only prayer we have to God today is that you are great. I got nothing to say to you, God, but let me pray this. And God, if I don't believe it now, make it true in my heart that you are great. How shall we respond? Thank God, as we think about prayer, if you feel intimidated by it, pray what you know is true or what you want to believe is true, that God is great that God is great. We can make that our prayer and let Him shape your life through this prayer. And in the coming weeks, we'll talk more about how to pray. But um, let me say this. Um, If you've got nothing to pray to God, pray Psalm 145. Um, Let that be your prayer today. And let Him shape you as He reminds you of who He is and what He's done. Will you pray with me? Father, we um, say that You are a great God and... um, Sometimes we don't feel it, sometimes we don't know it, but I pray that you would remind us of that. And I pray that as we look at history, as we look at our own experiences, that you would make it true in our hearts, that we would explode in praise for you like the psalmist did in Psalm 145. Would you receive it and you hear our prayers as a church, God? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.